12. Ong gives to his brother-in-law a flint for striking fire, and six arrows. No matter how many brothers the bride has, they all get this present. It is considered in exchange for the girl. The shamans avail themselves of Jews' primae noctis. After the marriage the bridal couple separate, each staying in the old home for several weeks, after which the young man comes to live with his father-in-law for half a year or a year, until he has had time to make a house for himself. In the meantime the young couple are fed, but they receive nothing else. The young man has his own animals, which he got when he was small, and now his father gives him a piece of land. Among the Christian Tarahumers the fiscal is advised of any contemplated marriage. This functionary has charge of the church edifice and the teaching of the children. It is his duty to take the young couples to the Padre to be married. But the Padre is far away and comes around only once a year, and sometimes even less frequently. And then the fiscal, so to say, rounds up all the matrimonially inclined. On account of their innate order to comply with all religious requirements the Tarahumers are willing to go through the ceremony though to them it has no significance beyond the payment of one dollar. On this account they do not mind waiting for the Padre's blessing for a couple of years, until they get ready to part with the dollar, thereby generally saving an extra trip for baptizing. As the Padre's visits are so few and far between, the fiscal even considers it incumbent upon himself to make up matches on his own account, telling the people that when the Padre comes they should be ready to get married. But so independent are the Tarahumer girls that it has happened that when the Padre asks the portentous question, they cry, Kayaki, Kayaki, Mumbrano, and run away. In my time there was a Padre now removed who emulated the example of the shamans and was frequently in his cups. On one occasion he was unable to perform the marriage ceremonies, and the sacristan accompanying him had to take his place. All this man knew about the right was to ask the man and the woman whether they would have each other. On hearing their, yes, he would say, where is the dollar, and pocketing it send the couple off with, now you are all right. When an addition is expected in the family the chief preparation of the woman is to get ready a quantity of beer, calling on her friends to help her, while the husband goes to a look for the shaman. When she feels her time is approaching, she retires to some lonely spot, as she is too bashful to bear her child while others are about, she tightens her girdle around her waist and bears her child sitting up, holding on to something above her, like the branch of a tree. After the little stranger has arrived the husband may bring her a jar with warm water from which she occasionally drinks. He also digs a hole, in which, after he has gone, she buries the placenta, placing stones on top of the place on account of the dogs. The umbilical cord is cut with a sharp reed or a sharp-edged piece of obsidian, but never with a knife for in that case the child would become a murderer and could never be a shaman. I once asked a Tarahumer where he was born, expecting him to give me the name of some ranch. I was rather amused when he went to a big stone a little farther on along the slope. That was his birthplace. The mother may lie down for that day, but the following morning she works as usual, as if nothing had been the matter with her. The husband does not work for three days, because he thinks his axe would break or the horns of his ox would fall off, or he would break a leg. The third day he takes a bath. When the baby is three days old the shaman comes to cure it. A big fire is made of corn cobs. The little one is placed on a blanket, and with the father's assistance the shaman carries it. If it is a boy, three times through the smoke to the four cardinal points, making the ceremonial circuit and finally raising it upward. This is done that the child may grow well and be successful in life. That island in raising corn. 
Then the shaman takes a burning corn cob from the fire and with the charred end makes three parallel lines lengthwise over the child's head and three across them. He also sprinkles tesvino on the head and other vital parts of the body to make them strong, and cures the umbilical cord. He may, too, annoyed the child with the fat of the rattlesnake mixed with herbs, and leave it in the Sunday that the light may enter its heart. For his services the shaman gets a little maize, beans, salt, etc. On the fourth day the mother goes down to the river to bathe, and while bathing leaves the little one naked, exposed to the sun for at least an hour. In spite of all its wailings, that father's son may see and know his new child. The baby is not washed until it is a year old. Then it is cured again, by the shaman, who on various occasions throughout its life repeats his curing, that the child may grow well and that no sickness or bad accidents may befall it, to protect it still further. Pieces of palo hediondo or the chuchipate root, the strong smell of which is supposed to avail against disease, are wrapped in a piece of cloth and tied around the child's neck. The mother nurses the child until it is three years old. In some instances she begins to give it once in a while a little pinoli when it is only six months old. When two years of age a child begins to walk and to talk. Sometimes when the mother is busy, for instance at the matapi, and will not stop to nurse him. The little rascal may take a stick and in his way try to beat her. The Tarahumare woman is a faithful mother, and takes good care of her children. She generally has from six to eight, often more. While small the children play with primitive dolls. They dress up corn cobs with scraps of textiles and put them upright in the sand, saying that they are matachins and drunken women. They also play, like other children, with beans and acorns, or with young chickens with their legs tied together. Of course the youngsters maltreat these. Sometimes they play, too, with stuffed squirrels. But there are no special children's games. The father makes bows and arrows for the boys, and instructs them in hunting and agricultural work. As the girls grow up, the mother teaches them how to spin yarn and weave blankets. For, she tells them, otherwise they will become men. She also warns them not to have children too rapidly in succession. For there is no one to carry them for her. Women cannot eat the tenderloin until they are very old, because if they did they could have no children. For the same reason they must not eat the pancreas. The women who fear lest they may have difficulty in giving birth to a child make soup of an opossum and eat it. Girls must not touch deer antlers, or their breasts would fall off. A characteristic custom is that the children, no matter how old they get, and even after they are married and have families of their own, never help themselves to anything in the parents' house. The mother has to give all the food, etc. and she gives as long as she has anything. Parents never inflict corporal punishment upon the young people. If a boy does not behave himself, he gets scolded, and his father's friends may also remonstrate with him at a feast. Otherwise, the children grow up entirely independent, and if angry a boy may even strike his father. A girl will never go so far, but when scolded will pout and weep and complain that she is unjustly treated. How different is this from the way in which, for instance, Chinese children treat their parents. It does not favor much the theory that the American Indians originally came from Asia. Chapter XV Many kinds of games among the Tarahumares betting and gambling foot races The national sport The Tarahumares are the greatest runners in the world Divinations for the race mountains of betting stakes women's races. To my knowledge there is no tribe so fond of games as the Tarahumares. There are few days in the year when a man has not a game of some kind to play, even when they become civilized and demoralized. In spite of their depression and poverty this passion of theirs still clings to them. 
while it is true that there is always something of value, however insignificant, put at stake, their gambling spirit is not vicious, they have some curious practices in their play, when going to run a race, or when intending to play quattro organs, they do not eat child, where holes in the ground are required for a game, as in quattro ankins, they are generally made in the level space on a rock, very common is it to see two young men amusing themselves with shooting matches, shooting arrows at an arrow which has been shot out into the ground some 50 yards off as a mark, the arrow, as well as the game itself, is called in Mexican Spanish lechagula, in Tarahu where the game is called chojirali, and the target arrow chojira, the arrow coming nearest the chojira counts one point, and if it comes within four fingers width of the aim, it counts four, the game is for twelve points, the distance is not measured from the points of the arrows, but from the wing parts, one man measuring for all, if a shot arrow strikes so as to form a cross with the chojira, it counts four, if it only touches the point of the ladder in the ground it counts two, if two arrows happen to form crosses, neither counts, instead of arrows, three sticks may be employed, one is thrown out at a distance and is the chojira, and the other two sticks are thrown toward it, and count in a similar way as the arrows, often while traveling, the tarahumers play this game, in either form, as they go along the road, perhaps for the entire distance, two and three pairs may play together, there is also a game very similar to quads, played with stone discs, fiat on one side and convex on the other, it is called rixi wadali rixi walla disc, and two and two play against each other, first one stone is moistened with spin on one side to make it heads or tails and tossed up, the player who wins the toss plays first, each has three stones, which are thrown toward a hole in the ground, perhaps 20 yards off, one of each party throws first, then goes to the hole and looks at it, while the other players make their throws, the stone falling nearest to the hole counts one point, if it falls into the hole, it counts four, if the stone of the second player falls on top of the first stone in the hole, it kills the first stone, the game is out at 12, to measure distances, they break off small sticks, lookers on may stand around and bet which of the players will win, another game is called Taquari, to beat the ball, in Spanish, Paleo, it is played only by women, to play at a time, one knocks a small wooden ball toward one goal, while her opponent tries to get it to another, this game is also played by the northern Tepehuan women, who sometimes use two short sticks tied together in the middle, instead of the ball, the sticks are thrown ahead from their places on the ground with a kind of quick, prying movement, with the aid of a longer stick, civilized tarahumers, as well as the Mexicans, play with metal bones as dice, the game is called Lotaba, and the bones are taken from either the deer, the sheep, or the goat, only one bone is used by the two players, 12 points make a game, and each player has 12 grains of corn with which he keeps count, he makes two rings in the sand, and puts his 12 grains in one ring, and as the game progresses he transfers them into the second ring until the game is out, their greatest gambling game, that which they may play even when tipsy, is Kins, in Tarahumir, Romavo, it is played with four sticks of equal length, called Romalaka and inscribed with certain marks to indicate their value, practically they serve the same purpose as dice, but they are thrown in a different way, the player grasps them in his left hand, levels their ends carefully, lifts his bundle, and strikes the ends against a flat or square little stone in front of him, from which they rebound toward his opponent, the sticks count in accordance with the way they fall, 
The point of the game is to pass through a figure outlined by small holes in the ground between the two players. The movements, of course, depend upon the points gained in throwing the sticks, and the count is kept by means of a little stone, which is placed in the respective hole after each throw. Many accidents may impede its progress, for instance, it may happen to be in the hole into which the adversary comes from the opposite direction. In this case he is killed, and he has to begin again from the starting point. The advance is regulated by a number of ingenious bylaws, which make the game highly intellectual and entertaining. If he has the wherewithal to pay his losses, a tarahumir may go on playing for a fortnight or a month, until he has lost everything he has in this world, except his wife and children, he draws the line at that, he scrupulously pays all his gambling debts. The northern Tepehuans also know this game, and play with sticks 18 to 20 inches long. As these larger sticks fly quite a distance off when rebounding, the players sit rather far apart. Wrestling also may be observed, but what may be termed the national sport, of which the Tarahumers are inordinately fond, is foot racing, which goes on all the year round. Even when the people are weakened from scarcity of food, the interest centers almost entirely in the betting that goes with it. In fact, it is only another way of gambling. It is called Ralahipa, with the foot throw. The word alluding to a ball used at the race. No doubt the Tarahumers are the greatest runners in the world, not in regard to speed, but endurance. A Tarahumer will easily run 170 miles without stopping. When an Indian is sent out as a messenger, he goes along at a slow trot, running steadily and constantly. A man has been known to carry a letter in five days from Guazapares to Chihuahua and back, a distance of nearly 600 miles by the road, even considering shortcuts which he, no doubt, knew. It was quite a feat of endurance, for he must have lived, as the Indians always do while traveling, on pinoli and water only. Where the Indians serve the Mexicans they are often employed to run wild horses into the corral. It may take them two or three days, but they will bring them in the horses thoroughly exhausted, while the men, who, of course, economize their strength, and sleep, and eat pinoli, are comparatively fresh. In the same way they will run down a deer, following it for days through snow and rain, until the animal is cornered and easily shot with arrows, or until it is overtaken utterly jaded and its hoofs dropping off. This propensity for running is so great that the name of the tribe alludes to it. Tarahumer is a Spanish corruption of Rolamari, the meaning of which, though somewhat obscure, may doubtless best be given as foot runners, because Rala certainly means foot. The race is always between two localities each side being represented by from 4 to 20 runners. The two parties show in their apparel some distinctive mark, for instance, all of one troop have red headbands, while the others may wear white ones. A peculiar feature is that the men toss along a small ball as they run, each party having one of their own. These balls are about two and a half inches in diameter and carved from the root of the oak. The foremost runner picks it with the toes of his right foot, so as to make it bound along as far as 100 yards and he and all the men behind him follow in the same trot as before. The first man reaching it again kicks it onward. It must never be touched by the hand, unless it happens to fall in some awkward place, as between stones or in a water pool. When it is picked up and kicked on, there is never any laid out track, but the circuit is determined in a general way by crosses cut in trees. There are certain favorite places always used as race courses. The runners seem to have a preference for the level tops of low ridges lying in a circle, wherever this is possible. If this is not feasible, 
they may run forward and back on a ridge, starting always near the middle, from some little plain or other convenient place, where the people gather for the occasion, there is a manager for each party, and the two arrange the time and place for the race to be held, also the number and length of the circuits to be made, a circuit may measure from 3 to 12 miles in extent, and when the circuits are short as many as 20 may be agreed upon, that one race course near Karatek, the circuit is about 14 miles long, and 12 circuits may be run here without stopping, runners of equal ability are matched against each other, each side being, of course, anxious to secure the best, the managers take care of their men until the race comes off, the training consists mainly in abstinence from Tesvino for two or five days before the event, when preparing for a big race the runners may practice, not that they need training in running, for that comes to them as naturally as swimming to the duck, but only that they practice kicking the ball and try the ground, much more important are the magical devices by means of which they endeavor to secure their own success and to defeat their opponents, a daring manager may go to a burial cave, taking two balls with him, he digs out a bone, preferably the tibia from the right leg, and sets it on the floor of the cave in which it has been found, in front of it he places a jar with tesvino and some vessels containing food, on either side of these he lays one of his balls, and in front of all he plants the cross, the food and the beer are the payment to the dead that he may help to win the race by weakening the adversaries, as human bones are supposed to induce fatigue, some may be brought to the race track and secreted there in such a way that the competing runners have to pass over the spot, while the manager's own crew are advised of the danger, to avoid it, the man uses the utmost care not to touch the bones with his fingers, lest he should dry up, instead, he uses sticks in handling and carrying them, scores of remedies are brought to the scene, either to strengthen friends or to weaken opponents, certain herbs are thrown into the air or shaken before the runners to enervate them, some enterprising Mexican may bring a white powder or similar substance, declaring that it is very efficacious, and get a tar of where to pay a high price for it, but whatever means are employed, one way or the other, there is always a counter-remedy to offset its effect, specially potent is the blood of the turtle and the bat, stirred together, dried, and mixed with a little tobacco, which is then rolled into a cigar and smoked, hickory and the dried head of an eagle or a crow may be worn under the girdle as a protection, the services of the shaman are indispensable for the foot runners, he helps the manager, himself often a shaman, to rub the men with herbs and smooth stones to make them strong, he also makes passes over them to guard them against sorcery, on the day before the races he cures them, food and remedies are placed on a blanket beneath the cross, together with many magical things, the herbs are very powerful and have to be tied up in bags of buckskin or cotton cloth, as otherwise they might break away, the water for the runners to drink is also placed underneath the cross, and candles are set on either side of the pile. The runners bring their balls and stand in a row around the cross. Then the shaman, taking his position in front of the ladder, smokes incense of copal over them, and sings of the tale of the gray fox, and other songs. He also makes a speech, warning them not to accept cannoli or water in other people's houses. All their food and drink must come from their relatives as a guard against witchcraft and illness. The runners drink three times from the water and the strengthening remedies, then the principal runner leads the others in a ceremonial circuit around the cross, walking as many times around it as there are circuits to be run in the race. The men sleep near the cross, to watch the remedies on the blanket, with them they have some old man, for old men see even when they sleep, and watch against sorcery. 
After the ceremony the shaman takes each runner aside and subjects him to a rigid examination in regard to his recent food and his relations with women. Fat, potatoes, eggs, and anything sweet are prohibited, because all these things make the men heavy, but rabbits, deer, rats, turkeys, and chaparral cocks are wholesome, and such nourishment enables them to win. An augury as to which side will win is also taken. Water is poured into a large wooden tray and the two balls are started simultaneously and rolled through the water over the tray. The party whose ball first reaches the other end will surely win. This test is gone through as many times as there are to be circuits in the race. A race is never won by natural means. The losers always say that they have been bewitched by the others. Once I was taking the temperature of some foot runners before they started, and their opponents, seeing this, lost heart, thinking that I had made their contestants strong to win the race. Often one of the principal runners becomes disheartened, and may simulate illness and declare that their rivals have bewitched him. Then the whole affair may come to nothing and the race be declared off. There are stories about injurious herbs that have been given in pinoli or water, and actually made some racers sick. It may even happen that some dishonest fellow will pay to the best runner of one party at if he lets the other party win. But, as a rule, everything goes on straightforwardly. No one will, however, wonder that there are six watchmen appointed by each side to guard the runners from any possible preventure, and to see that everything goes on in a proper, formal way. Gypsy persons are not admitted, and women in a delicate condition are carefully kept away. As the runners become heavy even by touching such a woman's blanket, on the day of the race the forenoon is spent in making bets, the managers acting as stakeholders. These people, poor as they are, wager their bows and arrows, girdles, headbands, clothes, blankets, beads, ari, balls of yarn, corn, and even sheep, goats, and cattle, the stakes of whatever nature are tied together a blanket against so many balls of yarn, a stick of ori against so many arrows, etc., that big races the wagers may amount to considerable heaps of such articles, and the position of manager requires a man of decision and memory, for he has to carry all the bets in his head and makes no written record of them. The total value of the wagers may reach a thousand dollars, and what to the Indians our fortunes may change hands in accordance with the result of the race. One man on one occasion had fifty worth of property at stake. The scene is one of great animation. As many as two hundred people may assemble, among them women and children, at the gathering point, which is called in where the betting place. All the bets are made, and here the race is started and concluded. Here the managers also place a row of stones. One stone for each circuit to be run, and whenever a circuit is completed one stone is taken away. In this way the count is kept. The runners walk about wrapped in their blankets like the rest of the people. They have had nothing to eat all day but pinoli and tepid water, and their legs have been rubbed with warm water in the morning by the managers. When finally all the people had arranged their stakes the gobernator steps forward and makes a speech, in which he specially exhorts the runners not to throw the ball with their hands, if they do. They certainly will go to hell. He also warns them against cheating of any kind, that a given signal, quick as lightning, the runners throw off their blankets, and one man in each party, previously selected, throws his ball as far as he can, and all the runners start after it. A second ball is always kept in reserve, in case the first should be lost. The racers wear rattles of deer hoofs and bits of reeds tied together on a strip of leather, which they stick in the backs of their girdle or hang over their backs. The magic rattling keeps them from falling asleep while running. 
so they say, besides, the deer hoofs lend them the swiftness of the stag. Some runners adorn themselves with feathers from various birds, preferably the macaw and the peacock, tying them to short sticks. The few tarahumers who have ever seen a peacock think a good deal of this bird, because it is considered light-footed and mystic, being foreign to their country. Some runners may be seen who paint their faces and legs with white chalk. Near Batopilas, for instance, they do not run at an extraordinary speed, but very steadily, hour after hour, mile after mile. Good runners make 40 miles in 6 or 8 hours, at one race, when they covered according to calculation 21 miles in 2 hours. I timed the leading runner and found that he made 290 feet in 19 seconds on the first circuit, and on the next in 24 seconds. At a race rehearsal I saw them cover 4 miles in half an hour. The public follows the race with great enthusiasm from beginning to end, the interest growing with each circuit. Many begin to follow the runners, shouting to them and urging them on. They also help them by pointing out the ball so that they can kick it without stopping to look for it. The wives of the contestants heat water and prepare pinoli, which they hold out in drinking gourds to the men as they pass. The latter stop for a few seconds to partake of this their favorite dish, and if this cannot be done, the tepid water is thrown over the shoulders of the runners, by way of refreshing them. As darkness comes on, torches of resinous pine wood are lighted and carried along to illuminate the path for the runners, that they may not stumble, making the scene one of extreme picturesqueness. As these torchbearers, demon-like, hurry through the forest, one contestant after another drops out. The excitement becomes wilder, more and more people join in accompanying the few runners left, their principal motive being to shout encouraging words to the runners and urge them to exert themselves to the utmost, and at last the best man comes in generally alone, the others having either given up the contest or being far behind. The race usually commences at midday, but often the bets are not finished until late in the afternoon. It may last for hours and even longer. A famous runner, now dead could run from midday until sunrise. There is no prize for the winner himself, except the golden opinions he earns among the women, and his father may accept presents from lucky betters. A man who wins a cow is expected to give two pesos to the victorious runner, in case he wins a goat he gives half a reel. The race over. The wagers are immediately paid and the Indians quickly disperse, soon to arrange for another contest. Sometimes there is an old man's race preceding that of the young men the latter being always the principal event of the day. Races are also run by women, and the betting and excitement that prevail on these occasions run as high as at the men's races, though on a smaller scale. Instead of tossing the ball with their toes, they use a large wooden fork, with two or three prongs, to pitch it forward. Sometimes they had a ring of twisted strips of yucca leaves instead of the ball, but more often two interlocked rings which they throw ahead with a stick curved at the end. This game which is called Romolaro signifies a ring, must be very ancient, for rings of this kind have sometimes been found in ancient cliff dwellings. It is certainly a strange sight to see these sturdy Amazons race heavily along with astonishing perseverance, when creeks and water holes come in their way, simply lifting their skirts a Diane and making short work of the crossing. Chapter XVI Religion Mother Moon becomes the Virgin Mary myths the creation the deluge folklore the crow's story to the parrot brother Coyote beliefs about animals. The pagans or Gentiles in the Barrancas say that they have two gods, but no devil. These gods are Father Sun Nanorugami and Mother Moon Yergami. The sun guards the men in the daytime, therefore the Tarahumers do not transact business after sunset. He also makes the animals sleep. 
The moon watches at night, and is the special deity of the women. In her nightly vigil she is assisted by her son, the morning star, who commands all the other stars, because they are his sons and they are Tara who wears. The stars advise their brothers on earth when thieves are entering their houses, when the Tara who wears affirm anything solemnly, they say, by those above, meaning the Sunday moon, and the stars, but the greater part of the Tara who wears are nominally Christians. Though all that they know of Christianity are the words Señor San Jose and Maria Santissima. Moreover, they had adopted the words Todd Father Dios God for their father son, and the Virgin Mary becomes with them a substitute for Mother Moon, and in natural sequence the wife of Todd Dios. They celebrate in their own peculiar way all the Christian feasts they know, with as much pleasure and as elaborately as their own native ceremonies. Next in importance is the devil, whom they fear even more than their own sorcerers. He is always represented with a big beard, such as the Mexicans wear. He is old and has only one eye, and the shamans have seen him often. He plays the guitar, but never the violin, because the bow and the strings form a cross. He would like very much to go to heaven, and the shamans have to work hard to keep him from doing so. There is also a female devil, his wife, who bears many children, always twins, who are the original Mexicans. Their paradise consists in big ranches, where they will get all the animals which in this life they sacrifice to Taradios. The occupation of Taradios in heaven is to run foot races with the angels, while the devil vies with the sorcerers in making the lives of the Tarahumers uncomfortable. He being the chief sorcerer of all, the Tarahumers are the sons of God, and the Mexicans the sons of the devil. For this reason the Tarahumers say that it is no crime to eat the cows of the Mexicans. They think the cows do not really belong to the Shadachi anyway. Neither do they tell when a Tarahumir steals anything from a Mexican. While they are very quick to find out if one Tarahumir steals from another. I give here some of the myths and traditions of the tribe. Those which Christian ideas have entered into will easily be recognized. And it is not necessary to draw special attention to them. Creation myths in the beginning there were many worlds. The 